0: I think anybody did you all hear that yeah, yeah. <laughs> congratulations <laughs> oh here's, fully informed. here comes Susan so that's uh, uh that's great oh good Yay. thank uh, thank you for your patience Susan that was that was my bad
1: problem then i finally did get in but then i was waiting in the waiting room for a while so i thought there but no matter what it all eventually it, worked, it, Hello. It worked <laughs>
0: just so you know susan um we're recording the uh, today's session for monica she requested that we record it so it is being recorded
1: uh oh we better say smart things <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: intelligent things i, mean, you know. I think well, all
2: we have to do is we just have to disguise our voices there you
3: go go. please just say
4: all your thoughts because any criticism or comments about not liking a character or or something missing is is all useful and helpful to me so so don't please please don't censor yourself
0: monica would you like to start by just telling us um, where your idea, your your inspiration uh, came from. I know that this is your business to counsel and work yeah. with people, but um, did you have a patient who would go to this extreme? Or, so do you mind starting with that question?
4: Not at all. Um, for Quite a few years I had, although I had a very busy professional life as, as a, a professor of medicine and my specialty in psychiatry was consultation liaison with the general hospital because I like all of medicine. So um, I was pretty busy with that. And I was also a, a principal and investigator on NIH grants. And so, uh, and I have a family. So I. Uh, not that I had much spare time, but it began to percolate in my mind that I thought I would like to try to write a novel, uh, in part because um, I wanted to give something back to the world of literature that I had gotten so much out of all my life. And it was just something I thought I might be able to do. And uh, I never really had uh, an idea for, a theme for a book like a novel that is going to take a lot of time over many years since I don't have full time to write it. And then one, uh, in a period of several months, I got consultations from the department of obstetrics and gynecology about a condition that I and most psychiatrists had not seen up to then, um, of, uh, I think it was it was three women that had false pregnancies. Oh, wow. And so I saw one after, you know, and then another one and, and then another one. And so first I thought of it in terms of my biological psychiatric roots. And I invited an endocrinologist to do some hormone studies uh, together with me, uh, just to kind of see how this happened. Because these women... Not only did they have the big bellies, but, but they had all the other signs of pregnancy and one of them was lactating and it was really very, very strange. So we did that paper and uh, then it occurred to me, I said, you know, it would be so interesting to write a novel where somewhere, somewhere the main character develops a false pregnancy and that's how it started. The book has nothing to do with any of the three patients. It's completely different. And uh, then you sit down. So I sat myself down with a piece of white lined paper and it's, there's nothing there. So then you have infinity when you start writing, you could write anything. But as soon as you write the first sentence, and I wrote the first sentence, then you, then everything gets circumscribed. It's no longer infinity. It's, it's just a set of conditions that, are, that, that limit you to some degree, but you're still very, you know, the idea of a novel was nice because I figured I could just wait around in it, not like a short story where you have to, it's like brief therapy is harder than long-term psychotherapy because you have to focus in very quickly. So that's how, that's what started it.
5: Did, I was, I was I so impressed. impressed. Excuse Pardon? me. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, I was so impressed that a physician could write a novel. I mean, you know, with all your busy schedule and everything that you have to do serving patients and the hospital responsibilities, that you were able to write a novel. I was very impressed by that and really enjoyed the book.
4: Oh, thank you. It was mm-hmm.
5: the kind of thing where I would write
4: on the weekend Um, uh, although I have three children so I have things to do on the weekend too and I would just write little bits and pieces as I had time and as things came to me and then when you really get into it interesting things happen because then I would sometimes wait I began to put a pad of paper by my bed because sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and either I've had a dream or something or other and an idea. So I would write it down in the middle of the night so I wouldn't forget it. Um, Or sometimes I would have to go into work in the morning and I was writing an interesting section the (laughs) night before. and, And I would say, okay, brain, I don't have time to work on you with this novel right now. You do it because I have to go to work. (laughs) and um, by the end of the day sometimes I would have a few sentences or a paragraph so I I, I learned from that our brain can do many things at the same time even if we're not focusing on it
2: and how did the patients fare just kidding
4: (laughs) which uh, the rest of them while I was writing in my head (laughs) okay
6: because it was compartmentalized Did did all three of the patients that inspired the story, was one commonality that they all fervently wanted to become pregnant and were sort of um, obsessed in some way with it, like Margot was? They
4: all wanted to be pregnant for different reasons. And um, what was interesting was that one of them after the ultrasound was willing to accept that she was not pregnant but her boyfriend was not
7: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so obviously he wanted a baby so badly that that she however she decided or part of her brain decided that she would be pregnant hmm. but he wouldn't he wouldn't say he he he, he would say well look over there on the, you know, look over there, or, you know, that could be something. And he just would not accept it. And then there was another one that I had to take into psychotherapy because she accepted it. But then a month later, she thought she was pregnant again. So I had to work with her uh, to the point where when she would get that thought, which happened over time, uh, she began, she would begin to question it. And just say, why am I having this thought now?
7: Mm
1: -hmm. So can I ask, Monica, on the the patient that had the increased size on her abdomen and was lactating, how did these symptoms finally go away? Was it after they accepted that they weren't pregnant or what?
4: Yeah. if uh, If they accepted that they weren't pregnant, they would expel a lot of gas and they they would accept it and they, you know, they would show them the ultrasound and show them that there was nothing in the uterus. And uh, if they accepted it, um, they, their symptoms went away. Wow. And this woman that I had to keep seeing, uh, she accepted it. And her symptoms went away. But then a month later, she had the same idea that she was pregnant. She'd come back to, to OBG and after a while she just, called me and then uh, we worked and then eventually she stopped when she was able to question her, herself.
8: I really liked it how all the aspects that you brought in, the the psychiatry, the legal, I thought it was great, uh, bringing in all different aspects to it, the social component, I thought it was excellent.
4: Well, thank you. There were certain things that were easy to write and other things I had to research a little bit, like the legal things. Mm. I, I I wanted to have it, it go through the, the legal aspects of it because in fact, it's a crime, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't know anything about that. And so what I learned while I was doing that is that every state is completely different. So I had to look up the state laws in Connecticut um, as to how, how this would come about. And I also learned how much power is in the hand of the district attorney about deciding on who to prosecute. And then I called up a friend who is a forensic psychiatrist and works with the law. And I, I passed it by him to make sure that it was, you know, legally accurate. And um, yeah, of course the the parts about the psychiatrist were easy for me to write. I just kind of put her in my chair and across from me, and I just talked to her and had a session with her. So that was very easy to write. but um, yeah, uh-huh. the-
1: when you were well, when you were um, writing about the or trying to formulate how to write about the kidnapping, um, did you research into some? Cases, you know, because there certainly have been babies kidnapped, often from the hospital, from the neonatal center, and all that. And particularly to kind of get as much background as you could on some of the motivation and what kind of women these are. um, Because your book, you know, we could certainly see. Her side, you know, you could see the horror of the woman who lost her baby for that period of time till she got him back. But um, there's that whole other Mm -hmm. story of the woman really suffering and uh, going into a psychological crisis. I I was just curious, the mother, the mother of the baby, you mean, or
4: no, no, the the the
1: the kidnapper, you know, the main character who was wanted a child, had the did the kidnapping. I just sort of wondered about the personality profiles or the cases you might have looked into of women who have done that because it's such a big serious step. And you know, I, I don't think they're all crazy, so to speak. You know, I I
4: I I don't know. I'm I'm really asking. I didn't. I was just, you know, trying to think of this one person and her motivations. Um Likely, there are many depending depending on the person. I don't think they're sociopaths who just go around taking no. babies for the. Right, you know, right. I'm sure they have different reasons why they do it.
2: Yeah, profit often, awesome. right?
4: So, Monica,
0: I was really I stumbled when uh, Margot first violated the code of. Uh, confidentiality when she went into the record the first time um, that really made me uncomfortable Um, I had this visceral feeling and I just thought she was she should have been she was so smart um, that I wondered um, how how you could make her stumble like that
4: I don't know what you mean, going into the record. Me neither.
0: She went, well, didn't she went um, early on in the book? She she what there was something that she did that that made her her boss call her in and sit her
4: down. And she,
0: say, she went into
8: the neonatal units <laughs> and right. watched right. the babies.
4: Yeah. Oh, is without that, being entitled to be there. Right. Right. right.
0: And. And I knew that was wrong. And I thought, well, she should be smart enough to know that was wrong.
2: Oh, this um, was foreshadowing, though, of uh, the urge.
7: <laughs> <laughs> right? but I, I, don't, wanna... I don't think right or wrong. I don't think right or wrong was a factor in her mind at that point. My this God. is a person. I think, that, I think that you brought us very slowly into her... Um, going into this uh, phase of being absolutely crazed, you know, about having a baby. So I, I think Monica brought us into, at least for me, we were brought into it very slowly where it sort of starts out as like not that big of a deal. And then it
9: keeps
7: getting worse and worse. And I, from my experience with some people, that's how some of their depression start. Is that it's just mm-hmm. a little bit to start with, and you know, then it just keeps going. You know, a spiral, a spiral down.
3: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I like the structure very much. I just kept yeah. getting pulled along and pulled along and pulled along. Uh, uh, you know, once I accepted that she was obsessive, I didn't like her very much at first. Sorry, but <laughs> she. <laughs> That obsessiveness kind of, you know, got me, but the structure was really great, I thought, really mm-hmm. plotted well.
6: Margot had childhood trauma, extreme trauma, and uh-huh. it. Um, I guess that was something that I wondered if very many of your patients probably have had childhood trauma that helped to or made them who in part who they were, and she seemed to you know she wanted numbers. She loved spreadsheets. She was kind of a perfectionist about things, yeah. and um, and I think her self esteem was so threatened by her infertility. Mm-hmm. And I could you just comment on some of those background pieces about that made
4: Margot who she is. Well, I'd like to hear what you all think. I'm just gonna hang out in the background for a while if you just, and I'll answer you know, these things later, but you just have a discussion as if you were discussing any other book.
10: I would add another thing, Stephanie, that uh, her mother-in-law didn't like her very well, did she? And that's why she thought if the mother-in-law knew she about the infertility, that'd be the last straw. Oh, that's and uh, yeah. so that was a, a problem she had too.
8: Uh-huh. And she truly loved her husband and knew how much he wanted a child, uh-huh. you know. Yeah,
3: yeah. Oh. I'm real interested in what you men thought about the book because, in my <laughs> mind, it was very much a woman's book with all these very, very Feminine details like blood in the panties and the feel of the speculum and stuff, and I was just curious how you guys responded to that.
10: That's a little. Well, I mean, we're married. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <That> helps. <laughs> yeah, I, I took note of that for sure, and um, <laughs> ap- appreciated the candor and, and the detail. Mm-hmm. Though, must admit, I it wasn't you know. Easy to read in in, in places, but uh, I I appreciated it frankly because it it brought out aspects of uh, a woman in that situation that obviously you wouldn't see on a, a commercial for some you know fertility drug or or and you wouldn't read it in most <laughs> books or anywhere else. Yeah. So so I like know. I like the fact that it was in there.
10: Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it was this month selection, but I, it's not a book I would pick up to, <laughs> to read. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: And, and it wasn't uh, taken to the detail of say, um, Hemingway's description of Paris. So I wasn't going there. <laughs> well, how many pages is this gonna go on? So, thank you, Monica. <laughs> so,
10: so Monica, can I ask you a question about, um, <clears throat> I don't mean for, I mean, there obviously are, uh, many things, but Margot was a fairly complex person. And um, I started thinking about um, how autobiographical autobiog- this might be, because you say that she like, she said, I like numbers. And then she said, I take pleasure in solving equations. Now, not many people would say that about themselves, especially women. So, uh, when you take things like that, the complexity and put them all together, you want a person to be consistent. And I'm wondering if to do that you have to be autobiographical.
4: <laughs> I I don't know, you know, I try I tried to for her numbers are kind of an escape and a pleasure. And um I don't think it is, uh, maybe it's, it's, I don't know how to put this. I, I don't think that pleasure in numbers is necessarily a male or a female thing. Um, and uh, I wrote it in for her because it was something that she could do, something she enjoyed, something she could escape into. It was, everybody's gotta have something.
2: I think what Richard's asking is, so uh, what, what did you get in calculus in college?
4: No, <laughs> oh, I was happy to get a C plus. It was, it was
2: okay. So guy. it's not autobiographical <laughs> in that. <laughs> <sense>. <laughs> no. No.
8: Yet I thought it was good between because her husband was a lawyer. Things that are black and white that that might have been something that pulled the two together.
2: I don't know o- opposites.
3: Yeah. yeah, I
8: mean, no, same.
3: Black and white. Black and white.
2: Oh, the law is black and white?
3: Well,
7: the well, law is dangerous. like
8: proof. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, I see. Proofs are in math.
2: <laughs> good, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so I guess I enjoyed the book, Monica. Thank you for writing it. Yeah. I thought it was an easy read. Um, yeah. And there was some clever phrases that I, I underlined in, in my copy and enjoyed. Um, right reading those, especially the analogy with the hall in The Wizard of Oz. I guess there was allusion to that. Um, I got a grin out of that. Um, the, the one thing toward the end of the book, when we we get to know a little bit more about uh, the woman whose child was taken and her anger and her inability to get uh, satisfaction to her level, I was worried that the end of the book was going to be the murder of Margot by this woman. because. Yeah. She had- she had no other outlet. So Here. And, and I guess I should thank you for not making that the ending. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I was expecting some sort of retribution rather than the resolution that you had them come to. And, and rather abruptly, you know, you didn't drag it out. They didn't have a, a long heart to heart and finally come to uh, a reconciliation that, uh, uh, that, that they did, apparently. So you, you were very brief in that regard so
4: would you, you would have liked more I think
2: so <laughs> I, I was expecting more uh, you know so that they both could have learned more about themselves I, I think the conclusion was that they had and they were both forgiving and understanding and, and uh, you know contrite and whatever else you know it all ended happily but I thought you could have maybe or I was expecting more to come out of that in terms of the character development the story development
3: Okay. I
10: actually thought the ending was brilliant.
3: I did too. In I liked the um, ending. Yeah. The, the,
10: the problem was diffused by, um, and this is Alvarado saying, "He crawls fast as lightning," and Margaret says, "Really, fast as lightning?" So, <laughs> yeah.
7: yeah.
10: Um, <laughs> no problem. The, the kid is fine.
3: <laughs> and uh,
10: I thought that I thought that was a brilliant way of diffusing the problem.
3: I, I thought so. <laughs> she took it interesting I liked it I found I I, I liked the title I mean it wrapped around to the title Uh, the the end of miracles I was telling somebody I was reading this book and they said oh that sounds awfully sad and I said no I mean the the whole thing was an acceptance of the reality and the end of the miracle was well if there was a miracle it was the forgiveness you know but uh that I just thought the ending wrapped up nicely. The end of miracles, reality's been achieved. Uh, We'll go on from here.
2: (laughs) Thankfully, everybody recovered. (laughs) Everybody recovered, right? (laughs) So I I have a wrap. I'm sorry, someone else was about to say something.
5: Um, I was going to say, I found this book in California in the Contra Costa Library. And I read it, well, I got it. And I, I looked at the jacket and I saw that it said, University of Michigan physician. I went, oh, wow, I'm so <laughs> proud of U of M. So I read the book, thoroughly loved it. Um, I recommended it to the book group in, uh, in California. So hopefully they'll read it too. So they do have copies around the country of this book and it's very good, very well-written. And um, I appreciated the um, passages and references to Freud. I thought that was quite interesting. <laughs> oh, yes. Do you all remember that, where, where you know, uh, referring to the fact that women may feel this need to have a child one way or another?
2: To, to make up for penis envy? To... Or that's...
5: <laughs> yeah, yes, oh. exactly. Exactly. Like, they're not fulfilled <clears throat> until they do have a child. And, you know, there are many women who struggle with infertility and go through all these processes, IBF, as she did. And uh, they don't come out successfully. and uh, they don't realize that there are other ways to fulfill themselves, not just a child. Uh, you know, there could be other ways. She said she worked with disabled or group home children, you know, she could have adopted one of them, you know to fulfill her motherly maternal needs or whatever.
2: Yeah, come to think of it. What, how did you resolve the Janie business? so, she had to stop seeing her for a while, but what what was her status at the end of the book?
4: Monica, well,
0: yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> <She> <laughs> was did, that the next tra- go back next novel? <laughs> I mean,
2: she did go back. Did Janie just sort of continue along? She, you know, she'd suffered that trauma, and then um, Margot helped her through that to a point, and then Margot lost it. So that's right. Um, and, but she went back to um, visiting with Janie and continuing on with...
4: Okay, that's not clear. Okay, so so right. let me write yeah. that that's not clear to no. people. Right,
3: yeah. Yeah, I wondered about that, too. Yeah.
10: Mm-hmm.
3: I think it did say, though, a
11: little bit in there that she would ask her friend or the lady that heads it up, and she said she was in therapy and she was doing better. Was and- yeah, so I thought yeah. I there's that. a little sentence about that yeah oh. but she asked how she was doing um and I think she asked her several times just to make sure she was okay because she felt so horrible about not being there for her oh yeah she ran away and um when the when Jane I think her name was Jane, her the most um but I know she asked I remember that in the book and the, the, the lady, um, I can't remember her name, said that
10: Virginia. She's, Virginia. she's doing
11: better. Um, yeah, I remember that part.
6: I thought there were many interesting parts. And one was during the time that Margot was an inpatient. And like the second time as she started to be better and was sort of taking in a little bit more of the sort of program, like I have some goals today, um, kind of seeing some of the other patients and remembering when she was sort of like that. And I thought that that was uh, kind of gave people insights into maybe what happens, Mm. um, you know, on an inpatient psychiatric unit and, It kind of was in contrast to, like, once she finally was able to accept some help, like, um, early on, she had gone to Dr. Trainer and um, said, no, thank you. She didn't want to go back for another session, Mm -hmm. she and her husband. And so it seemed like uh, it was a turning point when, you know, the second time she came in after the bad incident. So, anyway, I thought that that was a real interesting part, and um, how the doctor tried to think through it and make mental notes to herself and kind of write them down, and um, and how Margot worked through it. Like, I thought that was really, really good.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I, I know you're asking us not to ask you questions, Monica, but I. So one thing I, I wondered if you had considered uh, for the ending of the book that taking it a, a little bit further to the point where they adopted or had a, sur- a surrogate mother or somehow uh, resolved the, the big, you know, gaping void in in her life that way. So she came around, she recovered from her 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 mental or psychiatric problems, but and they talked about how they were talking to each other about having other ways of having children but you didn't go there so was that was was that a conscious decision or did you just uh I don't, there yeah I'll ask that is that was that a conscious decision to end it without that sort of resolution
4: it was um i didn't i didn't want to make it uh how shall I put it with a, with a happy end, with a, Thank you know, you everything be, is happily ever after sort oh. of an ending. Uh-huh. So I tried to make it a hopeful ending uh-huh. you Know that she was in a place that maybe she could consider some of these other things. She probably would maybe need more therapy and so forth. I guess, you know, one, uh, a psychiatrist friend of mine was, was saying, well, would, you know then what happened in the next few sessions or something so you could go on endlessly and endlessly with this and then it could have been a psychotherapy kind of book and some people may have liked it and some mm. people may have said enough with the psychiatry stuff uh, so I tried to make an ending that was realistic and hopeful but didn't tie everything up
2: well, and it allows you to open for a sequel right?
4: Oh, that's... <laughs> the beginning
7: of the next miracle. <laughs> I agree like with you. I like the development of her husband, of Margot's husbands over time. Um, he's not, it, it seemed to me at first, he wasn't a huge part of the story. It really focused on Margot. But then I think, you know, uh, when she was going through her crisis, he was. Very supportive, and he became, I think, more rounded out. His his mm-hmm. character personality was more fleshed out, and I think that that contributed to the emotionalism of the book.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even the uh, the woman whose baby was stolen, I, I kept thinking, you know, I want her to understand. Like anybody reading the book understands about. Uh, mrs gerber and all her mental problems you know but because of hipaa and that um you know she's still angry but yet she's accepted because of her church and other you know reasons accepted what it was but it's it's sort of like the struggles we all have with people you want them to to understand better whether it's political republicans and (laughs) uh democrats or whatever but you know you knew we you, she had a block and you couldn't get any further with her.
1: I would have liked to have seen
8: a little more um,
1: emphasis on that mom whose baby was stolen. And um, I I mean, I I also like the way it resolved. At least it wasn't a happy ending where they did get pregnant or who knows what. But getting back to that mom, you know, as I think of all that trauma and I thought it was interesting when her, Margot's friends went to visit the mom. The mom, even when she went into the kitchen, was pushing the baby in a little stroller or something, even in her own house, she was afraid to be separated from the baby oh, at yes. all times. So, this terrible trauma that maybe over time she'll lessen up a little, but it pictured to me that it would be long. So, I think the thing in the book that supposedly kind of turned that around was that session they had where they were supposed to meet and with social workers and, um, you know, try to share each side. And we've talked about that a little bit. Um, And particularly when she started telling her about the baby. And I guess when the the biological mom saw that Margot was interested in how the baby was really doing and realized that Margot had brought her to the hospital, the kid to the hospital when the baby was sick, because she was really worried about it. I guess that opened her up a little But I would have liked to have seen more because part of me thinks um, that um, that I can't it's hard to believe that mom wouldn't have wanted some sort of um, justice done um, for the loss that she suffered and and even though maybe Margot is sick or maybe she's got these problems and yes we all wish she had a baby too, but she committed a crime, you know I. I get it. And I hear how mm-hmm. you tried to work around it. Uh, And I like the outcome, but I would have liked a little more, particularly from that mom's point of view of how she worked through it. I do realize, I think at the end, the husband was more online than she was because the husband, I think said, we're not going to prosecute. And she sort of grumbled, that's right. You know, something under her breath. So I thought that was probably accurate. Maybe she was just sort of going along and maybe it's true if someone went through more legal processes um maybe it would drag it out for them you know maybe the mom is trying to heal up with the baby and if she had to keep sort of reliving it in court or whatever maybe that would be more traumatizing to her maybe that factored in but we certainly didn't hear that in the book and i don't know i don't know it just felt like um that would be the only thing because in general i did love it i i thought it was good and i was I was predisposed to like it because, hey, you know, someone of our own wrote it. And I was thrilled because for other books, we were talking about, oh, my God, this book needed an editor and that one Mm. too long, too short, you know, and I thought this one, the pacing was fine. Uh So, but if we're going to nitpick a little and say what, you know, what I would have fleshed out a little more, maybe it was that
10: character and her suffering. To me, though, she seemed pretty disagreeable. (laughs) <laughs> I thought there was too much of her in there
3: <laughs> <laughs> too much of the mother of the like, stolen child well the child was stolen for less okay, that one. I didn't know hours. Which, yeah okay yeah
10: and uh, it's not like uh, it went on for
3: weeks uh, okay yeah
9: <laughs> for me this is a, a book that I probably wouldn't have picked up to read having if I looked at the back cover and read the blurb but since it was part of the book club, I was able to get a copy through the University of San Francisco Public Library. Uh-huh. And I've found the humorous incidents about how Margot postulated how babies were born and that the gates were given by her father to the mother was, was very humorous at the start. And, and, and that got me kind of hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I found that the way that the nurses strike and oh, yeah. situation with the sexual uh, molestation uh, carried the story along, mm-hmm. giving you areas outside of the women's issues to keep you reading. Mm-hmm. So that it wasn't all just women's issues. I found that the, the biology of the, Pregnancy itself was interesting to read. Uh I worked in the hospital, so it was interesting to see how the administration works versus the the nurses and the instruction of the uh, medical students and then the residents and then the faculty, how that went together. I found that interesting. Uh, What else did I find?
2: If I could just uh, amplify on that one point. So did, did anyone else find it ironic that the U of M nurses are about to go on strike or they they <laughs> haven't had a contract since August? So, I it never
6: I, ends. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. I thought it was something unique. One wait, thing now, I, so I, really wondered,
11: I was wondering if it had wait, anything wait. with the strike back in the, in the 90s. You know, they had that huge strike back in the 90s. And I'm like, I wonder if this
4: has anything connection with that strike. It certainly did. I, I, I can answer that question now because that's how I learned about all these issues. I was here when they had that strike and um, all the things about you know crossing a picket line, which I was taught as a child that you don't do at the ah. same time needing to get to work myself. Uh, I learned about the issues of the nurses. I learned about the issues of the administration uh, and um, yeah, so I thought it was a, 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 would be a good subplot and I thought it would also be instructive. And I hope, I think I did it uh, so that both sides um, feel they are fairly represented because I think one of the uh, comments on, on Amazon Uh, from a reader actually came from the person who was a hospital administrator. She was a woman, I forget her name now, but I was just reading along the, and she said she thought it was good to show, it's interesting, she said it was good to show the issues about a hospital administration, whereas our nurse here uh, said that it was good to, to show the issues for nurses. So I feel like I did my job there.
7: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so Harold, I c- I cut you off, and I apologize. Were you? Did you want to say something? Yeah, more? There
9: was one other thing that that I uh, was expecting to happen that that never did. After her uh, instance report for observing the babies in the neonatal unit, she went and borrowed those puppets to take to Janie to do the therapy to try and find out what happened to her, and and after taking those puppets and in a, in a uh, clandestine manner, I was expecting that to come back and Me bite her to the too. end, and then that she was going to lose her job because yeah. She, yeah. she stole yeah. those puppets to, to take to the sheer house and, and work with Janie. And, and then that I kept on waiting for it to come and to come and to come, and, and then mm-hmm. it never happened. So, yeah, the those other thing I, uh, I didn't really like the, the uh, fantasy writing with the psychoanalysts of of, uh, therapy. I I didn't feel that that really added to the story in my opinion. You did like it or you didn't? I did not.
4: You didn't like the part where, like in the inpatient unit or the fantasies of a Freud's meeting? The italics,
9: yeah. Which one? Yeah, the italics. I didn't like that section.
4: Okay.
2: Um, I did for what it's worth.
6: <laughs> That's the usual, you know. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. I I was things. interested about the cover. I when I first looked at the cover, it was many months ago. I thought it was spooky. <laughs> like a little, not like exactly Rosemary's baby, but like <laughs> really bad. And
7: mm-hmm.
6: I was just wondering, you know how it you know i'd be interested if you have time at some point in this conversation to talk about like the development of the cover and the choices and all of that okay i can answer that
4: now
2: um, Actually, be- before you do i have to go at four i've got a hard stop there and um it's interesting stephanie that you bring up rosemary's baby because i was I was thinking about whether to raise this or not, and so I will. Um, Had you considered either, you know, what occurred to me when the, the child was born, prematurely or not, my mind went to Rosemary's Baby and that this kind of could have been the, the devil's spawn, you know, this kind of thing. And now, since our discussion started, perhaps that could be another way to go with a sequel. You know, that
10: they, <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy, and,
2: and I'll admit it, it's wacky, so you didn't say any more about it. And on that note, I, I have to leave. Okay,
4: so. go, but let me just say before you do, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'd appreciate it if everybody who's on here would write a couple of sentences or a few words <laughs> for Amazon and Goodreads if you're on it and give it some stars because the algorithms do look at how many, how many comments there are. So please hey, take oh. a, a few minutes, just write a sentence or two or whatever you hmm. want. Um, I, I, I looked at some it. reviews you you get some pretty good reviews not necessarily
1: just on Amazon but just book reviews uh, in general they thought it was a book in a topic not often written about so nice. good for
4: you
10: yeah
4: right well yeah I had I certainly had imposter syndrome now you probably remember when you're an intern you have imposter syndrome oh yeah a mm-hmm. you're a doctor and you uh-huh. don't know anything and you you, you know, know so I had, so with this one, once it was in press and everything, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I, I this is coming out as a novel and who am I? I, I? the, And it was only when some of those professional reviews started yeah, coming in they were good. and saying that, you know, the pacing was fine and the writing was fine and, and, and you know, it was great. So, so only then did that dispel. <laughs> good, good.
2: Well, yeah. so good for you. Congratulations. Yes.
4: Thank so you. I have to go.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Monica. see you,
4: you, Ted. Thank you. Okay. So to answer the question about the cover. So um, the publisher has a, a cover design person. And so uh, what they do is they ask that cover design person to um, make a few covers. And then um, usually the publisher decides. And um, because this is a smaller press, I was part of the process. <clears throat> I mean, in the bigger press, they could have put one of those guys with the long hair that's on the wrong novels. And I couldn't say anything. But, <laughs> but, but I was part of this process. And I have to say the initial title of the book that I had in my head as I was writing it was Conceptions because it has a double entendre kind of thing. It was real conceptions, false conceptions, Mm. conceptions as thought. The cover designer says, I cannot, I cannot make a cover with that title. (laughs) So the publisher and I sort of got together and tried to think of other titles and, The publisher came up with a few that I didn't like and then she suggested something like The End of Miracles and I said, you know, I think Perfect. I think that would be a good title. So then that went with a little synopsis of the story to the cover designer and the cover designer then submitted four or five covers and they were quite different and could have emphasized different parts of the story. One of them that I remember was a woman's face with five different you know, profiles in the face, whatever. So it almost looked like a split personality kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that would have em- emphasized more the mental uh, illness part of it. Um, but the publisher and I both thought that this cover had an emotional react. People would have an emotional react, mm-hmm. we did. We had an mm-hmm. emotional reaction. You had an emotional reaction. And so uh, we both wanted this cover. So that's Sorry. how that happened. <laughs> the cover designers are amazing. I mean, I've seen them, the covers for other books of, with this publisher. And, uh, and then they, then there's another person who, who designs the inside of the book. Hmm. And uh, something I never really looked at, like... Um, where the the page number and the the is it underlined? is the is the is there a bar at the side? Um, things like uh, how is the first uh, letter of each chapter started? Um, things like um, if there's uh, space in between a few paragraphs, is there, A little marker if if the scene changes um, within a chapter. All things I, you know, I never thought of, and the the interior design person uh, does all of that.
0: Hmm. Monica, it seems like a lot of uh, novels are three hundred (laughs) and (laughs) eighty five pages, and I wondered if that was a consideration or something that your editors. had you keep in mind?
4: Not really. Uh, I didn't and it's interesting because the price to print one book obviously depends on the pages and I have no idea where the cutoff is from, you know, from one price to the other. I just I just wrote it, you know, the way I thought it should be written at the, at the very end. Actually, I threw out a chapter and had to change all of my chapter <laughs> numbers <Uh-oh. laughs> uh, because as, because I had been proofreading each chapter, and not proofreading, but going over each chapter as its own individual self. And then at the very end, I read it from start to finish. And I noticed that the second chapter just stopped the flow. It was kind of like if you would write a, a symphony And the symphony has to go from the beginning, you know, the first movement or whatever has to go from the beginning to the end. And so I thought of it that way. And once I got to the second chapter, it just kind of fell flat. I think she goes to visit Kate, and they talk and it it just the momentum was lost. So I took the critical parts in that chapter and put it somewhere else and just dropped it.
7: Mm -hmm.
1: Interesting. Great.
4: Well, you, you know, I learned it's, a lot through this whole process. Obviously, I had never taken a single course in creative writing.
7: Oh,
4: and, um, but I read a lot of books. And so uh, there were certain things that carried through from my scientific writing, which is completely different, obviously, mm-hmm. writing grants and papers. But I learned how to edit. Um, I didn't oh, yeah. learn how to write, but I learned how to edit. And like, when you're writing a grant, uh, every sentence has to, in my mind, every sentence has to push the funding agency (laughs) towards thinking they should fund this grant. So I brought that over also, thinking that I was, you know, this sentence is superfluous or it it, it doesn't really add to the story or whatever. So Hmm. I brought the editing part. What I didn't bring was the, was the creative part, because I never had written creative fiction. So what I started to do is I started to, when I was reading novels on my own, I started to look about at the technique as well as just reading the story, because I would know what was wrong, but I wouldn't know how to fix it when I was writing. I'd say, you know, I don't know how to change tense. I don't know how to, you know, do this or whatever. And so then as I was reading, I would um, say, oh, how that's how they did it. Or look at that, you know, that's how they move from present tense to past tense in a little paragraph or something or other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I taught myself. <laughs> by, by trial and error, I went through, I don't know, I can't tell you how many different versions of this there have been and how many times, I must have had 30 or 40 different Uh, I don't don't even know what what to call them, but um, it wasn't easy. It took many, many years, and as I learned more, it got better and better. I could fix things I had written previously that I didn't like so much, Um, and it was a process. I tried reading some books on writing, and I didn't find any of them particularly helpful. And the one thing that I found helpful is Stephen King has a book called On Writing, and it's a combination of an autobiography and some things about writing. And one of the things he said was something I found out for myself, which is to use a thesaurus or a book of synonyms a book of synonyms that I had and and what I would find is that um, and I guess he agreed I wish I had read that sooner because but um, I found myself that many times I would be writing a sentence and I would get stuck because I, I couldn't think of the right word. I knew the general word, but I needed a specific word and I couldn't go on unless I had the specific word. <laughs> and so then I went to the thesaurus or the synonym finder and I would um, I would look up the word and then see what synonyms and then I find the right synonym and I say, that's it. And then the rest of the sentence would flow. So there was a lot of learning along the way. When
8: win-win. It yeah. was excellent. Oh, you you. Know.
4: When
3: did you start writing the book? Pardon? When did you start writing the book?
4: Oh, I don't know. I, uh, I was just, let's see, my oldest child was still home, I think.
3: Yeah, because you referred okay. to the children, and I know how old your children are. <laughs>
4: Right. And so actually, my oldest child was was quite important in writing this book because I wrote the first chapter and I really didn't know if it was any good or not. And I my daughter, my oldest daughter, who is an ophthalmologist now, but at the time she was, you know, I don't know if she was in college or high school, uh, uh, but I knew she read a lot and she she we could talk about books and so after I wrote the first chapter, I, I gave it to her to read. And I said, you know, I wrote this. I wonder if I should just keep writing or or mm-hmm. what. And so she read it. And then she said, you know, it's good. You should keep writing. Oh, how
10: nice.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't write the book last year? No, no. It's been many, many years. Yes. And then after I retired... Then I had, uh, I think what the book is published now, it's 2016 or something. I should spend quite a while. Uh, um, yeah, so I had yeah, more time after I retired to um, to really spend more time on it and finish it to my satisfaction. There's no, there's no. I think any writer is going to say there's no end point. I mean, you could just keep, improving it and improving right. it but there's some point where you have to say and that's it
7: right and then right.
4: if you know as i was writing it then my other goals i added to my original goals that um, i wanted to first show psychiatry and psychiatrists in a positive light because most of the books I and mean, you can start with one flew over the cuckoo's mm. nest and then go through all the the girl books the, you know the those um the girl who,
8: whatever I forget the name, the hornet's
5: nest,
4: the hornet's nest, and all of those, and there's this Dr. Teleborian who's uh, an abusive child psychiatrist in that one. So, so um, I just wanted to pre- present something that was more realistic, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, then I also wanted to show that that patients with psychiatric illnesses are really not that different from other people, so um, they, <laughs> so I added, so, so those, you know, as I was writing, I also had those things in the back of my mind.
6: Did your editor start, you know, making changes that you were concerned about, or did, were you your own editor, essentially, How did that go? Well, I was pretty much my own editor, but when I submitted this to
4: the publisher, um, she said that uh, I guess there are several classifications of books. One is it's not ready at all and it it needs like developmental editing, which is one kind of editing where people, uh, the editor really helps develop, helps the person develop it. So it wasn't in that category. And the second category is it may need a copy editor, which is usually the case. A copy editor is different than a proof editor, which is something I learned. A copy editor looks at inconsistencies or how the book might be divided into sections or chapters or things like that. A proof editor just kind of compares the manuscript to, The you know, any typos or anything, and then the first, and then and then there's a category that's ready to go. Well, you can imagine almost nothing goes through, it's ready to go. So she said mine was between the first and the second kind, uh, and could probably benefit from a copy editor. So I went to um, our school of where people get a master's of fine arts and creative arts. And I asked if they could recommend somebody um, to be a copy editor, and they recommended somebody who uh, teaches English literature at somewhere. Where does she teach? I can't remember. We're not at the U of M, and she was wonderful. Polly Rosenwick is her name, and um, it was a it was a, a, a delight to work with her. We changed some of the. Um, Chapters Again, I wasn't sure because some of it is in past tense and some of it is in present tense and how to make that shift from one part of the book to the other. And uh, and then she just went through it page by page and just just looked at if there were inconsistencies or, or whatever. So that was a very useful and interesting process. And I never knew there was a difference between a copy editor and a proof editor. But I'm not, it's a, I feel like I got a Ph.D. in... in uh, writing and in publishing and in marketing and in all kind of things. So if anyone doesn't have any more comments, I could, I could answer some of these points uh, that you raised, if you like. I have something I,
5: to say little. I have what? something little.
3: Um, in the beginning, it refers to Grenada. And I think there was a bit of a mix up there because Grenada, spelled G R E N A D A, is the country, the spice island, whereas Granada is actually a place in Spain.
4: And so that. And actually- nobody caught that.
3: <laughs>
4: Granada is in Spain and Grenada is in the Caribbean.
3: Right. And forgive me, I am Vicky. Well,
4: that, you see, somebody should have picked that up either the Not copy it. editor well, probably the copy <laughs> editor because the proofreader, just as i said just compares what's in the manuscript to what's in the on the um galley proof so uh yeah mm-hmm. the other thing that the other thing that happened was then i had to proof myself the uh audio i don't know how many of you mentioned the audio book i i did yeah, yeah. i was curious I,
1: did you get to pick the narrator, the person who read it? Did you consider reading it yourself because sometimes no. authors do no
4: i didn't i i don't know I'm too oh i don't know if I would be good at at, at what she did what it was really that was an interesting process because when you go with audible um it's easy because you the first thing they do is say, do you want a male voice or a female voice? Do you want an authoritative voice or a friendly voice? Mm. Do you want a high-pitched voice or a low-pitched voice? Uh, you know, and they give you a few things to select from. And then after that, they give you a list of a hundred narrators. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then that 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 fit the characteristics. And then I just yeah, hundred so narrators. So I listened briefly to many, many of them, uh, and I, you know, after a few sentences, I could say or not whether because they have yeah. recorded things. They have. You listen to things they've recorded of other, other things they've read, and so I ended up with two or three that I really, really liked, and. Um, and I got in touch with one of them. And with, uh, with Audible, you can do it two ways. You can either pay them for uh, their narration and producing it good enough for Audible, or you can do a profit share. Not that the profit is that big, but whatever, you can share your profit and not pay anything up front. So I chose that option and this person was willing to do it and she was an actress previously, and I think she did a beautiful job, yes. an absolutely do beautiful job, and I know one or two people who, uh, that I know of, that read the book, and then listened to the Audible, and then they said they really liked the book, but they loved it mm-hmm. on Audible.
1: Uh. I did too.
4: So if you would For all the people who who got the free link to Audible or didn't, they, um, in return, Audible would like some comments and it's often about the narrator. So uh, along with the link came something, I think, I'm not sure how they they want people to do that, Um, but they particularly want comments about the narrator and I think she was so good. Really, why did you think you thought she was good?
1: Oh, I did too. You know, it just moved right along. It was, if it doesn't draw attention to itself, you know, it just feels so natural. It feels like this is the way it should be, you know? So yes.
10: I I, um, got the, the Kindle version of the book and the Audible version came for another few dollars and I got both. I actually, and I I actually like reading it better. I can read faster. And and the book was very well, very well written and very well organized. And I felt that by reading I I got a lot more out of it mm-hmm. than listening to it. I mean, I can go back now and listen to the whole thing again, but um, first time through I I thought reading was better. I knew in the past some of the other books we've had that it sounded like the the, the um, audible version was was the better version, uh, but um, this is the only time mm-hmm. I actually tried to compare the two and, and I really liked reading better, <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
4: well, that's also an interesting thing about how people like, like to read something. To me, I, I, I can't even read it on a Kindle. I need to hold the book in my hand mm-hmm. and I feel I get more immersed in it that way. At the same time, this is the first audible thing that I've ever listened to or any audio book because I had to proof, I can't say proof read it, you have to proof hear it, I don't know what, And that's how I got got into this because she mispronounced the French restaurant. She did everything, I didn't have to correct about anything huh. else, but she, she couldn't pronounce the French restaurant, la maison, <laughs> or whatever it is that I have in there. <laughs> um, but other people, so I, like, I don't know how you can listen to the audio version and cook or whatever people do. I, I have to, the reason I like a print book is I can just kind of immerse myself in it. Mm. So, but in itself, it's an interesting, an interesting thing to, to, to think about you know, what versions do people like and why. Mm-hmm. By the way, so, I think
7: we
3: have a, a book discussion coming up about the Trevor Noah book um is that right yes i would definitely recommend that you listen to it because of his accent and the representations of other languages oh. he's good at that
0: i i read it uh, the first time and i was it, i was sort of middle of the road uh, it was a 5 to me i mean out of 10 and then um, my friend said, oh, you must, must listen to it. So I'll, I'll, I'll uh, go along with that recommendation that you may enjoy it more if you listen to that Trevor Noah book. Yeah. But Monica, oh, okay. I wanted to yeah. ask first, I've made a, I reviewed uh, your book on Goodreads, but should I also do it on Amazon?
4: Yes, please, because they're totally different. And if you've bought anything, on Amazon for 50 bucks in a certain period of time, you can review anything. So you don't have to have bought the book on Amazon. They will write verified purchase if you have, but if you're an Amazon customer, you can just go onto it and write a little review or comment or whatever, even if you didn't buy it that way.
0: Mm. And I I just wanted to say that I thought you did um, just an excellent job of capturing both the physiological and the psychological components of um, infertility and miscarriage, which um, I've had many friends who have, have gone through both. And as I listened to their experience and I read the book, I was really taken by the how true The emotions that you conveyed were to the experience that have been shared with me.
4: I'm very glad to hear that because I'm hopeful that that this will is educational also, not just about psychiatric patients, but Mm -hmm. about uh, what it's, how meaningful and how difficult and and and. Earth-shaking, uh, this infertility and miscarriage is, issue is to people, and it's often, uh, you know, both of these, both, both the infertility, and miscarriage, and the mental illness are usually kept in the shadows, and they're not out in the open. And that was another hope, um, you know. I, I, we just have to get enough people to read it. That's the the other, the other uh, hard part of all uh. of this. But that that was the goal.
0: So, but I have recommended it to another book club. I belong to a Dexter Ann Arbor book club, and I've recommended it to my book
3: club too.
4: Oh, good. And I'm happy <laughs> to join book clubs with video. I, I told them you might be. I, I am. <laughs> I, I enjoy talking with book clubs. So, let me tell you uh, a little bit while we still have a bit more time. Um, men in terms of men i've had men who who i know who read the book and one of them said oh my gosh i feel like i've gone through labor for the only time (laughs) in my life (laughs) and um some of them have just read it in 15 hours or whatever they just keep going because they say they learn a lot about women and women's issues that are interesting to them Um, it's interesting about some of the comments you made about where you would have liked to hear more about uh, her husband, Stephen, and this woman who um, whose baby was kidnapped. Uh, the book was optioned um, by a producer in London um, several years ago, quite a few years ago. Another thing I've learned about how another industry works who, who got me through my website. Uh, I was told I had to have a website. I, hey, what do I need a website for? You know, I'm a I'm a professor of psychiatry. Uh, but because of the novel, I had to have a website and this person actually contacted me and says, have you optioned, has someone optioned the novel yet? It's hmm. Like I have a big line outside the door. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so I said no, and um in fact, she was a wonderful person. Uh, I was thinking of sending it out, but she actually did apply first and so first, she wanted to make a film of it, and now she's thinking of a television mini huh. and uh she she's currently she works for Warner Brothers, so it it's it's it it wouldn't be through Warner Brothers um. And she and another producer uh, have uh, been working with it and the other one read it and they've been talking about, you know, if it was three or four different episodes, uh, what they would like to expand is more about the husband hmm. and more about the backstory of the woman whose baby was taken. Wow. <laughs> Uh, so very interesting uh, so so that was interesting and then i had to have a contract i had to hire an entertainment lawyer (laughs) i've never seen a contract i don't know anything about business i don't know anything about contracts but i had to learn all of that a friend of mine who i don't know if you read her book the historian Mm -hmm. uh, i have oh yeah written by elizabeth kostova Uh So I said, what do I do? I have to get an entertainment lawyer. So she recommended me to her entertainment lawyer. And so then I worked with that person. That was an education in itself. Um, So anyway, uh, I have in the contract, I said I have to have in the contract that I have say over the script because I have to know that it is going to be accurate psychiatrically and so on and so forth. So... Whether it ever happens, I have no idea. This industry is so strange that uh, projects get dropped after five or six years, um, but we'll see. So that has to do with the people who made comments about they'd like to learn more. They might, if this if this actually you know, becomes a mini series and the screenwriter will write more of that. Um, let's see. Um, I tried to do the inpatient unit. I wanted to give some sense of the psychiatric background, but I didn't want to make it boring just to kind of in a description. And so that's why I had it set at the psychiatric um, inpatient unit meeting, which do exist. These kind of meetings obviously do exist, but that's why I had the resident instruct and the, and the faculty person kind of give some of the background. So I, it, my, I made it in a dramatic format rather than simply saying, well, these were the psychiatric issues of this person. Um, anything
8: else? Let's see. I think the times are probably pretty opportune for this topic that it would be, you know, anywhere you want to look at it with the abortion rights, reproductive rights, problems with IVF, This is my opinion. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Well, the producers obviously think so. Yeah. And I have faith in the one who optioned it because um, we've talked quite a bit and I just wanted to make sure that she, she was on the right path with it. It wouldn't be commercialized. It would be as the book is and she's very sensitive to those issues and i feel that she she will um do a good job with it the other thing i learned is maybe you've wondered why they always have the casting director it comes up early in the credits because this after they get a screenwriter the next thing is the casting director because they have to know what people are available and they and and all kind of things which i never realized director was such a prominent and important part of the process. Um, I also learned that the reason sometimes you see something, it says director's cut. Mm -hmm. It's because the producer has the final say over the final script and the final everything,
11: Mm.
4: which I didn't realize before. Because so when I had this clause put into the contract, it says that I have these rights over, you know, the content, you know, uh, of of the final script, except for the producer. Ah. (laughs) The producer has final say. Now, that's why I was careful about making sure that this producer is actually somebody who who I, I trust. But that's why sometimes it says director's cut, because What came out in the movie may not have been what the director wanted, but the producer may have thought something's more commercial or whatever and and insisted certain things be dropped or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad so many of you enjoyed The End of Miracles. Uh, I did.
1: Oh, yeah, it was a good one. It was good. And I always Mm love discussions where the author is present. Uh, I mean, really. uh, It it adds 100%. Uh, And like I think I mentioned before, Reese Witherspoon has a monthly book club. And after she announces the book, she always, well, of course, she's got, you know, uh, all the, the, the stuff at her hands to be able to do it. She always has an interview with the author, one author interviewing the author of the book. And that's always fascinating
7: because these yeah. this
1: background information just adds a lot to it. So thank you for participating. And yeah, okay. And if, again, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. know
4: book clubs, you want to recommend it to. Um, I enjoy uh, being online with book clubs.
6: Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I have asked a question about how you developed Margot's character and starting with her trauma in childhood. I don't know if you want to go back and you thought maybe you'd save that question for later. Do you have anything to share with kind of how you built Margot from childhood on? Well,
4: knowing where she would end up, but then I have to (laughs) go back and create her childhood. So uh, I tried to build in, things about her insecurity as a female, such as mm. comparisons with her sister and the whole thing with the bras and the training bras, and then uh,
6: mm-hmm.
4: her mother, seeing her mother pregnant and her father being interested in, in, in the mother for that and um, her watching uh, women nurse babies and, and uh, things of that sort and for the psychiatric part, and this is the one thing that did come from one of the women that had pseudosiasis, uh, false pregnancy, um, that she did have this relationship with her father. And when her father died, uh, she, she, you know, at the funeral, she couldn't be pulled away from the casket. Hmm. So uh, then, the so I built that into the story. Also, that's about the only only detail from these women who were completely different from Margot. Um, so, and then I also tried to build in that at some point I can't remember where it is that she steals some comic books. So I wanted to build in some impulsivity and some um, ability to steal things that. Um, that were part of her. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so all, a lot of these things are very subtle uh, and, and they're sort of little efforts of mine uh, to plant things that would be clues to her personality or, and clues to some of her issues about being a female.
3: Yeah. There were
4: lots of good clues, I thought, in your details. Mm-hmm. Good, Because I, I, I wanted to make the whole thing seem reasonable because it is such a, a, a strange action and, and everything. Um, so I did try to put them in and, and many of them may be subtle. I hope they helped people accept all the things some people get shocked at when she takes the baby because they say, how can I sympathize with somebody who does that? So uh, I was I, I was, uh, I'm pleased that most people don't dislike her because, because mm. she did something so criminal. And so, you know, when we think about it, if it happened to us, as, as we think about this other woman um, and that's why she goes on a, on a crusade to try to get a criminal indictment, and yeah. she doesn't get anywhere with it, so which is obviously very frustrating. But I tried. That's why I tried to have her. Uh, I tried to have all the characters grow through this. Um, Margot, her husband, her friends, and also a little bit this woman. That this woman could move to sort of a grudging, you know, when she realized that she cared for the baby and she did take it for medical care. Sort of a grudging a little she threw her a little crumb
0: okay. <clears throat> yeah. yeah yeah is there going uh, is someone willing to be the reviewer who writes up a little something for the newsletter of this book <laughs> <laughs>
4: You can have a copy of of this whole discussion, (laughs) so you don't take it easy, right? (laughs) Because it's all recorded. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to stop
0: recording now. Is that okay?